men, we have to have the conversations about Mennonites also. We have to have the conversations about different types of Anabaptists. Right, because everybody just assumes when you see a head covering that or a plain looking person, they're Amish. Right. Yeah, so he was like, he didn't know what Mennonites were, but he knew what Amish were. <laughs> oh my. everybody welcome back to another episode of the sacred subjects book club before we begin this podcast may discuss trauma of all sorts to include all types of abuse viewers and listeners may find it triggering and unsettling the guests on our live streams reflect the diverse set of values morals and ethics that may not reflect the morals values and ethics of the misfit amish if this live stream causes you distress please seek support from your trusted folks and qualified mental health professionals as needed you may also cease listening and come back when you're ready to hear more with that being said hello good morning i just want to give a quick like I reread this book and I felt like I have failed, you know, greatly in the shoulder slump. I just feel like that's really where I am. So that's where I am. Good morning, everybody. If you all want to say hi, go ahead, be my guest. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Do you all have one thing to share about reading the book? Where have you failed? Don't everybody jump at once. I think I checked off the whole list and then I added a couple extras. <laughs> okay, but just one thing. I'm only asking for one thing. See, that's the problem. There's not even know where to start. I'll start it off with I, I I failed to fulfill my divine purpose as a woman by bringing a baby into the world. So that is a failure. According mm -hmm. to I get that one. Yes. I also don't, probably don't always dress modestly, whatever that means. What is modesty? I, I know what the Mennonites that I grew up with considered modest, but it I mean, apparently varies quite. I bit. mean, look look at my necklace. Though. That's pretty modest, isn't it? Depends who you ask. It's subjective. <laughs> Actually, didn't they say in the beginning... Like, no skin should be showing. Like, pretty much. Legs covered, arms covered. Like, I mean, I guess, you know, your, your face can be showing, but high neck going, which I, I think we're kind of all feeling at right now. Mm. Um, I mean, but look at you. Stephanie, though, with her neckline. That's not I don't that. I've got peace, service, justice on my t shirt. Yeah. Oh. oh. Oh, but, but your clothing shouldn't have words on it. That draws attention to the wrong place. Yeah, <clears throat> the wrong kind of Anabaptist. Just, just don't draw too much attention to like anything that regards your body. Your body. That's it. I'm just it did saying. seem like there were um, moving goalposts, I guess, in what was deemed acceptable and not 
you know, because not every girl is going to be able to grow up to be a mother. They, they do raise that possibility. Mm-hmm. That's obviously and, the highest calling. So the, yeah. if you're not a mother, I don't know. Are you even a woman? Can you even obtain not, like, a higher status? Not a valuable woman. Right. I mean, because that was kind of the implication was not all of you will become mothers, but if you don't, you exist, but you're not as valued. I would uh, maybe like to talk at some point about like, it seems to be some confusion about the role of marriage in conception. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you go away from this not sure like okay, so can I can I is it okay if I start reading? Yeah, go ahead. Be my okay. guest. Um let's see here. There all right. Oh, sorry. I'm trying to. There's just so much. Well, while Stephanie's looking, okay. I just want to point out the fact that I have been upgraded from an apple to a rosebud. I, I am a pure rosebud. <laughs> and look, it's such delicate, dainty beauty, pure and unspotted. Open out of a plain, common looking bud. It's a marvel I never grew tired of. Um, you know, you are at the time of your life when you are like that rosebud about to bloom, uh, open into a flower. You are a special gift of God with a, per a special purpose to fulfill. And I just want to point out that later on in the book, there is a sentence that talks about... Um, where did it go? Oh, oh, if you feel self-conscious about it and it embarrasses you about it, like they tell you how to feel, it embarrasses you to think that others will notice when your body changes and when your body has shape. But if you dress modestly and are not bold and forward, you need not be ashamed. Oh my, I'm being a little bold and forward, aren't I? Anyways, did you find it, Stephanie? I did, yes. I'm a rosebud, though. You are. You are a rosebud. <laughs> I mean, I'm a very like rosebud. Uh, okay, uh, should I read this part? All right. Um, perhaps you are wondering how you can be sure this egg will not start to grow be before you are married. God great care in his wisdom to create you in such a way that this can never happen. No matter what goes wrong in your body or how little you understand of its working, there is no way the egg inside you can start to grow on its own. A human life is too important to have it start by accident. God took every precaution to prevent this. The only way this egg can start to grow is if it can unite with a sperm cell produced inside a boy or man's body. God has ordained that this uniting of the egg and sperm cell should happen only in marriage. One of the, okay. All right. So here's my question. 
when you read this as an 11 year old girl, I think I would come away not knowing. So is it possible for me to get pregnant when I'm not married or does God stop that? That's an excellent question, it's but I also have, I have another comment to make. I'm having some kind of feedback from somebody. I don't know who. I don't know. Anyways. Um, it might be me. I, I might need to shut my window. Hold on. Okay. Well, anyways, I just want to point out that. So like, you know, obviously some people know that it is possible for girls to get pregnant because they do things like give their children herbal teas that are abortifacients. And they do this over a long period of time when they know that their daughters are being raped repetitively and there's a possibility that their daughters could become pregnant. And so my question is, it's like, where is this okay to give this idea to 11-year-olds and 12-year-olds, even teenagers? Because sometimes people may read that or, you know, parents may teach their kids that as teenagers. I think, and this gets to the, the victim blaming piece of it, in this world, which I'm going to call a fantasy world, um, that the Amish ministers are creating, rape does not happen if they are good girls, dress modestly, don't tempt their older brothers, never go out alone, and pray. Don't, don't climb on ladders. Don't talk to men or boys. Yeah, don't, don't laugh too loudly with men or boys. Because it only happens out there in the world, obviously. Because mm -hmm. they they mention rape, which is actually interesting to me. That seems to imply they know enough that they know this is happening. But in their fantasy world, it doesn't happen unless you've done something to deserve it. And God is punishing you? Even in the way that they talk about rape, they say this is something that happens often in large cities. Yeah. So it's like, it's all because, you know, they typically live in, you know, probably more rural areas. So again, it's like othering and not taking any form of accept responsibility that it happens within the community. It's only bad people out there and bad girls who don't. What was, what was that line? Um, something about you still have a chance to make choices um but it's really kind of 
there's there's no concern for the possibility of, of rape in this world he has created for the girl of 11. I mean, they do also say, um, you are just a girl. You know you are not ready to carry a baby and then give birth to it. Of course not. You would have every right to be frightened and disturbed if that were to happen to you. You are much too young. And what you may, you may already have gathered from remarks that your parents made that it is a great shame and disgrace for a girl to have a baby before she is married. That part. But that's like, then they go on to talk about the egg and the marriage and all of that. Like it's, and again, the idea, once they are married, even their bodies belong to each other. Your body is no longer your own. <clears throat> Where is your bodily autonomy? Where is your capacity and ability to say no? Are you allowed to say no? Yeah, also at the top of page nine, it talks about sometimes Satan gets people to want to have intercourse. Again, I see that a lot in evangelical too, like blaming desires on Satan and things like that. And it's just, I think it's very vilifying. That's the only word I can, I can come up with for it. Well, it's also sidestepping the actual issue because it's not actually taking accountability and placing responsibility for people's actions on solely who has done the actions. It's saying, oh, you know, I have not properly slumped my shoulders, but it's not really me. It's Satan. Satan did that to me. Satan made me have this desire to be this <clears throat> loud obnoxious worldly person with my necklace and my lack of a shoulder slump and my my neckline here that I just really had to display just for this discussion. That was Satan. That wasn't me. That's just Satan and my lusts that come from Satan. Which takes any responsibility off of me. It's like I didn't really do it. Yep. That's it. I thought it was really telling, like the whole, the, throughout the whole book, the goal is just for the woman or the girl to be invisible. And yet, yeah. while you're being entirely invisible, you're expected to carry the weight of anything a man does. And I didn't see at any point that there was anything mentioned that, hey, maybe the, maybe the man was in the wrong. Maybe the boy was doing things he shouldn't have been doing. I don't know. That's just really, it's just ugly. Yeah. The invisibility and yet the responsibility. And we have so much responsibility placed on us as young children, even. It's part of why I talk about this is I don't believe that Amish men should be speaking about Amish women's experiences because they literally have no idea what it is like to live in a culture like that. And even though they may have good intentions, they often 
get it wrong. And they furthermore create stigmatize further like stigmatizations and even fetishize some like one of the things that can come up is like they can put out information that is inaccurate and then when we talk about our experiences then we have people who are coming and saying oh but that's not what this Amish man said or that's not what this man said no you don't know what you're talking about unless you live that just no it's not saying that we don't have room for different experiences we do but by and large the way that men experience this culture is vastly different than what women or afab people experience this culture and i think if you truly comprehend the contents of this book then you can truly comprehend the vast difference if that makes sense. But Jessica, didn't you have a list of like things? Can we hear your list of things? I want to know. It's two pages long, <clears throat> but yes. <laughs> oh, go ahead, read. So like it started, the book literally started within the first couple of sentences with body shape shame. So like that's from the get go. And I have to imagine that was probably instilled really early in life, even before 11. Um, shame over being noticed. Which, yeah. And girls are expected, don't be bold or forward. Your future is to be a wife and a mother. Yeah. There, there wasn't any other option. Um, your, your life role was chosen for you. You don't draw attention to yourself. Um, literally normal body functions are shameful. Like I noticed they talked about the period and your time of the month and you're supposed to keep it a secret and whisper about it. Even that was considered shameful. Um, you have to hide your skin. You hide your body shape. You don't laugh with men. You don't tease men. You have to study to be quiet and reserved. You have to stay in the background. You don't give men attention. You dress modestly. You don't flirt. Don't wear things that are too short, too tight, or too thin. I think I covered all of this. Yeah. <laughs> um, Good job. You don't go out alone in public places. That one, that one really just, that stuck with me because I think even to this day, I still have in the back of my head this idea that like being alone in public could be dangerous. Um, pray to God for protection. You have the power to make a man sin just by existing. Um, decent girls, I hated that phrase, makes men. Decent girls don't make men sin. Um, I have a couple more on the other page. You're supposed to be a pure virgin, obedient to parents, cheerful, you're even told how to feel, willing to work, reserved, and modest. You're just all the things. All the things. I'm just saying. Like, the modesty part. How many times did she say modest in that? Or something that was regarding modesty. modesty like that's 
Huh? Modesty and purity. Well, those things. How... I just can't even. Like, how is that even... How, how can you even have like a hope for a future at that point? And I noticed too, one other thing I jotted down at the end of the page is they literally said, you're responsible for your rape and he is the victim of your carelessness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is so damaging, especially for a child to hear those words and to carry that and always feel like he was the victim. And at the same time, you're not a virgin anymore. So you're, you're, you're really not just the, the level at which it communicates devaluing of their humanity is so, it's so, it's so sexualizing. Like, I, I just wonder if, the person who the person who wrote this seemed to be really obsessed with the nascent sexuality of this theoretical eleven-year-old okay. girl. It's really gross, right? And they don't differentiate between, or he doesn't. The author doesn't differentiate between if if, if something happens to you. Um, it only places so much, it places so much emphasis on how you're dressing and causing you know men or boys, brothers doesn't matter. So imagine all that added shame when you are, when something does happen to you. It's, I don't even have to imagine it. I don't either. <laughs> but I just want to say that this book does irreparable harm to many children. And I think it is important that we really discuss it openly because of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, as as the outsider, yes, the book says the eleven year old is is too young, but speaks several times of like in a couple years. So once puberty actually starts, and there's a phrase in there, "girl and young man," I'm talking about the girl and the young man getting married. And so I think when um, Mary and I were talking about this a little earlier, I, I referred to it as the sexualization, but <laughs> um, the, uh, the author or authors, a 13 year old girl to them is an adult. I mean, and they didn't write young woman and young man, and they didn't write girl and boy. Mm -hmm. So they know that a 13-year-old is a girl, but a 13-year-old girl was the the epitome of womanhood to me. I don't know if y'all kind of read it in that way, that at 13 you're a woman of the highest value to the young man you marry 
as virgin who's pure and modest and will have his children while you're a child, but you have to guard your virginity because, you know, never mind the fact that many of us have been raped repetitively for almost a decade by 13, but you have to guard your virginity and then you have to pray to God for forgiveness according to the book because, you know, your virginity will never grow back, but you know, you, you sinned. I'm, I'm just saying like that idea of like, this is a one, it's a girl Two, It has this focus on, on purity and modesty and virginity. It's like virginity is like the Holy grail of like, what makes you a, a valid human being. Yeah. And you're fucking 13. You're a child. Yeah. Like, how does that work? And what I got from that is a 13-year-old is not a child. But they call him a girl. But you're a girl. That's what he says in the book. Well, he also says young man. So maybe you never get to be a woman because woman sounds like you have more control over your life than they think you do. I mean, maybe that's another part of it is flat out, your path is decided. Part of a a chunk of of Jess's list came down to, right? Your path is decided. And so maybe you're always a girl. You'd be 40 and a girl. Until you're married and have a family. And then you're suddenly a woman. And you're supposed to submit to your husband because all things, he is the leader. He has been ordained by God to be the leader of your home. And so therefore you are to submit to him. So are mothers women on kind of that level of men, boys become men because boys grow into headship. Do women ever I mean, yes, they're the mother, so perhaps they have some authority there, but do they ever really stop being girls? I are... it depends. it depends on who they're married to. Very much. I mean, girl and young man just, yes, it's a short book. It's only 16 pages, but I think that one phrase for me it's kind of like the victim blaming plus the the invisibility and the dismissal of women's autonomy. Mm-hmm. A young a girl and a young man get married because they love each other. Uh huh. And violins apparently play, and and that's when they have sex, and that's how the baby's made is because they love each other and they get married and it's all very romantic and that's when the baby comes. It was ordained by God. Okay. I was like, this is not what the non-compliant Amish and X-Men and Knights and former Amish have been telling me for the past two and a half years. 
but okay, if y'all have, you know, love and violins playing and you love each other. Okay, and well, violins are, are worldly. We don't have those. <laughs> I don't know what kind of Amish those are, but that's not the kind of Amish I was. Violins are worldly. I'm just, I'm just saying. I, I do, I don't think they used the term violins, but it was, it, it was. It was basically the singing fairy kumbaya. Tale. Kumbaya. It was it was the fairy tales that I was raised on. Um, this idea that you're going to love each other and that's when you're going to have a baby and everything's going to be happily ever after. It's kind of the vibe it had. <laughs> it is very romanticized. Mm-hmm. It's and just, yet, I, don't, I don't remember it ever playing out that way in reality. Yeah. Not really. I don't yeah, either. being a non-entity non is the goal. That I, really resonates for me. I, yeah, like actually being a non-entity is like, so like for me, like my biggest sin is not that, you know, it, it's, it's not that. It's not that I, 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 I was worldly. It's my biggest sin is that I reported the rapes. That's, that's my biggest sin because that gave me autonomy and a voice above what I was supposed to have and what was granted to me by the rules of our community and our culture and our family. Chastity seems to be a great idea in various societies, but the egg holder can't be the only one to buy into this. Pashtun Afghani cultures have decided every square inch is covered, yet rape is still a thing there. You're absolutely right. Yeah, the... Yeah. Go ahead, Sydney. What you got? Just that there's no... It's like there's no room in this, if you want to think about it as a fantasy world that this author is living in and has made, there's there's no room for Amish men or godly men or whatever men are, are the right kind of man in this world. There's It's like there's no way for them to actually be responsible for anything that they do to a woman or a girl sexually. It's, it's just, the, these things don't happen when, <laughs> when girls are properly modest. Obviously, we're not talking about sexual violence in marriage because that's not a thing in this. It doesn't this happen. doesn't because. happen. Because, you know, you, you sign a contract basically when you get married that your body no longer belongs to you. So it doesn't, what happens to you doesn't matter. Consent is irrelevant. So it's just like there's no there's no place for men and boys to actually take responsibility but at the same time they are pointing out like it, you know in some of the most egregious places in the book they're pointing out yeah you're you know boys may feel lots of shame about how they are attracted to you you know, they may really feel a lot of shame and, and that could do harm to them. But it's not, oh, maybe we should 
not teach our boys things that cause them to have inherent shame about like sexuality. It's girls, what are you doing wrong? You're hurting them by, by being an object that provokes this kind of feeling in them. I don't, it's, it's just, it's so utterly convoluted. I'm like, what, what kind of fantasies do you have to construct to walk through the world thinking that this is actually how, how it works and should work? I, and, <sighs> yeah, it's so misogynist. Like this is, this is about as, this is so misogynist. I, I was taken aback. Like I had read like the last two pages, which, you know, are the, the pages that Mary reads in, in sins of the Amish in the documentary, but I hadn't read the whole thing until I prepared for this. And I, it was just, there wasn't a single page where I wasn't like, this is this this sentence is an act of violence against children. And this one, and this one, and this one. Wanna hear a fun fact about that um booklet recording for Sins of the Amish? I scoured through the entire set of booklets looking for something that said that men should take accountability for their actions. <clears throat> and we're on what booklet three have we found anything that says men should take accountability for their actions like that's I mean, just a side note men men should maybe accept accountability for not beating their children hard enough when they like that's what I got from the last one we did for sure. Oh, if your children are acting out sexually, you know, it, it is incumbent upon you to beat them harder. And if you don't, then, you know, it's on you. <laughs> I mean, that, <sighs> that they make my head hurt. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, they're, 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 oh. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Like, how is beating your children? How is hitting your children? How is like, you know, that whole idea of like, we already know that there are ex-Anabaptists or even like current Anabaptists who may beat their children to death. We have evidence of this. Currently, there's four adults being charged that were raised in an Anabaptist home who pretty much beat this child this four-year-old child to death so how is this how is this acceptable and i think the most egregious thing about this book and and this entire thing about this book is the fact that there is a fucking social work professor who endorses this book and then claims she she didn't really endorse it but it says recommended resources so I don't give a caribbean crap. If you don't want to say I'm recommending this, then don't put it under recommended resources. Yeah. That's not how that works. Mm -hmm. And there's also another agency that wrote another book that circulates this book to Amish people as a recommended resource. Again, they proclaim that it's just, well, we use it as an example of blah, 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 blah. That's not what you say in your book. You say it is a recommended resource. So quit lying. Either you're lying when you say it's recommended or you're 
you're lying when you say this is what we use as an example. But why do mental health professionals who are licensed and credentialed think this is okay? Have they read it? I'm sure they haven't. And it's not, it, it, it's worse. I, yeah. Because that's, I want to know if they read it before they put it on their recommended resources list or if they're just like, oh, well, I hear that every Amish family gets the sacred subjects. Let me recommend that because that's cultural sensitivity. I'm sure that's it. I like, I, I've, I had, I had just visions of walking into like various social workers offices and being like, okay, you recommended this. You are going to sit here and I'm going to read it out loud to you. And you are going to hear the words that you recommended. Yes. And I mean, I think we talked about this in the last episode, but these books were primarily for Amish kids, right? I mean, this was primarily an Amish series. Yes. It's written by an Amish minister available from Pathway Bookstore in Michigan, which is an Amish publisher. And now because there's been some lumping together of Amish and plain Mennonites in various social service approaches. Um, you know, the, <laughs> these recommended resources that are coming from, you know, whether it's from Jeanette Harder's for the sake of a child or from, you know, other like organizations in Pennsylvania, like there are a few where we've seen this phenomenon of these books being recommended by, you know, MSW to PhD social workers, like they're now they're being recommended more widely. And, and so now like the likelihood of plain Mennonites also teaching them and reading them has gone up like non plain and non Amish secular professionals are helping make these books more credible, not only within Amish communities, but in communities that they weren't even part of before. I mean, I I can't get my brain around that. I mean, what happened to the do no harm part of medical professionals? I mean, I could have sworn that was still in there. Yes, it is. (laughs) As a professional, that just makes my blood boil. As a as a professor, Jeanette Harder, she should not have her job. She should not be doing what she's doing because she is okay. So Alan Hoover, Old Order Mennonite. I don't, and he is first author on For the Sake of a Child. I don't know how sacred subjects wound up on their resource list. I don't. I don't know if if Alan Hoover recommended them. I don't know if someone else that Jeanette Harder was talking to recommended them, but they are now in this book. And they have remained in this book. Yeah, they have not been removed. Whatever she's saying, these books are still recommended in all the editions of that book, For the Sake of a Child. You know, when, when she is teaching master's level students working towards their MSW and she is you know, suggesting they check out her book or she is using her book as a resource. And so she's probably never read them. 
Okay. Question. And now she's spreading that further. She's not only just spreading that further by teaching, but are you aware that on Goshen College's website, they actually list that god-awful book? Well, yeah. it legitimizes it. Like when a, per when a mental health professional recommends something, it adds legitimacy to it because mm -hmm. people say, well, you have the education and the background. So this month, so it's going to add, it's going to, it is going to cause more people to feel like it's a legitimate resource. That's why you should do your homework before you recommend anything. So and, then is Goshen College now part of that issue as well? If it's on their website and they're recommending it, then yeah, I would think so. And Goshen College knows the issue. Oh, yes. They have been sent a very descriptive email about that issue. And so they are choosing... And, and an institution wants to gain more name recognition so more students will want to attend. Okay. And so they're going to talk up what their faculty have done. Okay. And they don't really know what their faculty are up to. I'm going to be honest. Like my, no one in my university's marketing department knows what I do or don't do. I could pretty much tell them anything. Um, now, I might eventually be caught for the lie, but if I actually wrote a book and told them I wrote a book, they would they would publicize it without necessarily reading it. Sure. Assuming uh -huh. that I know what I'm doing and therefore I wrote a decent book. But go okay. Notes. So, like, just hypothesizing here so what if you wrote a book and you published a book and your university like publicized it for you mm -hmm. however comma pause like it comes out that this book is like inherently promoting patriarchal wh white supremacist ideas that are victim blaming and harming children and women disproportionately inside of certain marginalized communities how would your college possibly respond to that it would depend, actually, because uh -huh. the assumption is that the university cares about these issues uh -huh. more than they care about increasing name recognition. Now, I would like to believe that my university would care about more of the care about these issues more than they would increasing name recognition. It really would. I hope. And they might care more about white supremacy than they do family violence. They might care more about family violence than they do white supremacy. But the minute they find out the reality, they have a choice to make. And if they choose to keep the book up, then they are choosing name recognition over these issues. I Even like if they purport to be um, supportive of combating these issues, their actions are, aren't their actions now showing you exactly what they actually support? Their actions are showing that name recognition is more important to them than humans. 
Well, they're humans. They are choosing to prioritize their comfort over the comfort of others. And like I, I like teaching. I worked very hard to be able to get the job I have. But if anybody thinks that higher education is liberating, I guess. <laughs> I mean, you can, um, you know, education has a, a place and a role, but it is an institution that seeks to maintain its existence. You know, so Goshen isn't necessarily going to take down a book that has a lot of sales because it has a lot of sales and that increases their name recognition. Jeanette, I don't, I don't know how you recommend a book you haven't read. Like to me as an academic, that's atrocious. Like that is one of the worst things that you can do um, in your research. without making this about her, like we'll just stick with, she recommended a book that I don't think she read. And I don't get that. I don't know how you keep your job. I don't know how you think that's a good idea. You know what would happen to me and my job if I recommended something that I did not read? <laughs> She recommended a whole series of books. I mean, but but you all know what would happen to the average person. Yeah. So why is it that people in academia can get away with not necessarily reading things that they're recommending? She she Regardless, recommended it, facilities she'd never been to, which honestly, yeah, that part like, too. I if you're recommending something publicly, you're putting your your name behind it, you're saying like, this is a good, uh, I yeah. support, I agree with da, 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 da. So if you don't read it, you don't know what you're recommending fully. This is true. Now I do have a few comments to read. They're kind of large, so I'm not going to show them, but on, on this topic, one of our commenters said my mother could have written this. So many women have internalized these ideas and passed them down to their daughters. I was blamed for my rape by her because of what I was wearing. Interestingly, my father did not blame me and he came from a much more conservative group. His aunt is Pike Mennonite. Just one other non-Anabaptist side note. It turns out that Prince Charles was not allowed to consider Camilla as wife material because they had slept together during his running around time. So she ended up marrying someone else who she eventually divorced and people focus on her divorce and not on the fact that she was tainted by Prince Charles back when they were youngsters. And then our next commenter says, it sounds like the actual reason behind the point of this pamphlet is a washing of their hands for responsibility for sexual abuse by the adults who wrote it versus actual help or teaching for, ch for the children. So it's actually about them, the adults, protecting themselves 
versus actually protecting the children the pamphlet claims to be teaching. It kind of goes, that comment makes it very clear and apparent. It kind of goes into that thing where I talk about people who, who say, oh, but we've done something. And they pat themselves on the back as they go about their day. They're like, I did something, but what have they done? What have they done? How has that led to safety for children in those environments? Well, it's it brings answers into a place where people need answers and gives them just egregious answers to really, really natural questions. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, here's a gap in knowledge. Let's let's fill it with with misogynist filth. Because that's what this is. It is misogynist filth. And yes, white supremacy is a big undertone. This obsession with purity. I mean, it's actually interesting that somebody brought up European royalty. Because uh-huh. it's like these sexual ethics do not actually come from the Bible. I mean, we can talk a lot about how to contextualize the passages about sex in the Bible. But they come... <laughs> They come from a very violent feudal system in Europe. And they are being taught to children as though it is a direct command from God. It's just, if the the word abomination was meant for this kind of garbage. Don't worry, Stephanie. I'm the real abomination. (laughs) I have been informed. I'm the real abomination. Okay. I'm, I'm down there in the filth with you. <laughs> I don't know. Your hair is still long. You might not fall quite into the same level of filth with me. It's been short before. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Stephanie, that made me think about a couple of years after I left the community. Um, I was working in a Middle Eastern country teaching English mm-hmm. and very conservative, extremely religious um, community and area. And I found it really telling that the way that I grew up, I literally didn't have to learn any new rules. <laughs> I fit in there <laughs> like I belonged. Wow. And like, it was literally the same <laughs> the same shaming of women, the same responsibility on women, the men did whatever they wanted to do. And like, I don't know, I felt like I was back in the community again. So here's a question, because like on page 12 of this booklet, I found it, I found it, y'all. Y'all, I found it. (laughs) It says, um, Although there may be, will be some discomforts connected with having your period. Yeah. Some. Discomfort. Discomfort. Okay, we're not going to talk about me being so sick that I throw up, that I have these migraines, I can't poop, I'm like, 
you talk about PMS, like we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about the actual physical pain, the inability to eat properly because your stomach hurts so bad or the cramping that people can have or even the excessive hemorrhaging that people can have where sometimes they need medical intervention. We're not going to talk about that. No, just ask your mother. Your mother will tell you what to do. Discomfort. And, and make sure you whisper about it. Definitely some, written by someone who never had one. Mm-hmm. Also, what happens if you start your period before you're a girl of 11? Like a lot of girls start at 10 or 11. What if you don't read that? Like Some even start at nine. Like yeah. um, seriously, like people, child, children have been starting, AFAB children have been starting their periods in a variety of ages. I know people that have gotten their period anyway, where from the ages of eight to like 19. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, all of that is fucking normal. Mm-hmm. All of that is normal. So why are we like, anyways, I digress. We we got sidetracked. Don't worry though. Your period may be irregular at times, which is nothing to worry about. Okay. But again, when, when your mother gives you abortifacients to ensure that your period is regular, what does that say? But I digress. I got sidetracked again. Having your period is nothing to be ashamed of or to be frightened by. Oh, now we're not supposed to be ashamed. But you told us to be ashamed of it. You told us to be ashamed. You told us to be ashamed of our developing body. You talked about our peaked bras or whatever that was. I don't even know. I might have to go buy me a new bra to see if I can figure out how to make it just peaked enough so I can get into trouble again. Same. It is a a vintage website, so I'm just saying. (laughs) I mean, maybe a corset would work better, but I digress. I'm getting (laughs) sidetracked again. I do have a point here. It is a monthly... It is your body's way of getting rid of what is not needed. And it is a monthly reminder of the marvelous role of motherhood. God may be preparing you for someday. Just as a rosebud unfolds at the right time into a beautiful flower, pure and unsoiled. So is your life at this time. You are a virgin. This means a girl who is still pure and has never had intercourse. Your virginity is a treasure once lost, can never be regained, no matter how hard you try. Now it is true that God can forgive you if you sincerely repent, but the scars will remain and your virginity will never come back. This is the part that I feel is traumatizing for, well, for anyone to hear, but, you know, if you are a victim of sexual assault. Imagine reading that. Well, or maybe you don't have to imagine, but yeah. I don't have to imagine. I'm not even going to go there. Read my book if you want to know what that made me feel like. You're welcome. There's there's such a small like window. So 
No, your period is not something to be ashamed of so long as you whisper about it to your mother when no one else is around and you do everything she tells you to do about handling that period because of course she's not going to be surprised or embarrassed. And so you have this very narrow, small window, like as long as you do X, Y, Z, A, B, C, and D, and your mother does E, F, G, H, and I, then you don't have to be ashamed. Now, if oh, but any those... one of those is not met, then it's shameful. But but window. But how carefully will you you will want to guard that treasure then? We now have virginity as a treasure. We are a treasure to be found. Okay. That that was how I was raised. That that's that's Southern Baptist too. So don't be careless. Don't be careless or take chances with it. That flower although, is really popular. Although it's such a weird fetish. Like yeah. you may not realize it. It is part of human nature that boys are attracted to girls. They are sexually attracted by the bodies of girls. It's human nature. First it was of Satan. Now it's just human nature and boys can't control themselves. Got it. Well, human nature is of Satan. Again, Southern Baptist. <laughs> like. <laughs> I was, I have to admit, I was surprised as I was reading this, that the biggest thing that I that was so unfamiliar to me was I was um, I'm so glad that statement is circling around um, <laughs> thank you for sharing that but the um, it was really that I was we were prime more for you know children as, as duty and obligation not this great love that is described um but a lot of <laughs> the rest of it was kind of more extreme of things that are in in the southern baptist church but you just you have a really really small box that if you fit into it like again you do a b c d e f and g by the way Part of that is not making boys or men rape you because it that's all you on you. Guard your body carefully, dress modestly, yep. not to display your bare skin or mm -hmm. even unnecessarily the shape of your body. Yep. Don't oh wear a pointy bra. Okay, don't wear a pointy bra. A trap that some girls fall into is that of flirting. Be careful that you do not enjoy laughing and teasing with boys or men. Be careful not to act in a way that is unbecoming and uh, or in a way that is not becoming. And my question is, what the fuck do you mean by becoming, not becoming? Who, who gets to define that? That is a very subjective statement. Going out of your house by yourself, not praying what is hard enough. Whatever what that is, bishop says, whatever your bishop says, what is what is not for sale should not be advertised. Mm -hmm. If your body is not for sale, do not advertise it. 
again, we're back to property. Now I feel like I'm going to the sale barn to an auction to be auctioned off, but I digress. Study to be quiet and reserved. We've talked about that. Um, then they give the idea of like, if you read, if you've read a newspaper, then you probably heard of the word rape because it's so common in the world. Any newspaper you read, it's got to have that word rape in it. I'm, I digress. I'm, I'm done. Really? I'm going to stop reading the book. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it's, it does set up an impossible task. Like the only way to not feel shame is if you meet all of these things, which are impossible. But it also I mean, keeps people busy. It keeps women in particular. I mean, just gesturing back to the, the person who talked, who said my mother could have written this. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do think it's, like when you take like a step or two back from stuff like this and like what function do they serve? One of the functions that they serve is that they keep women preoccupied with policing themselves and each other. That becomes the most important thing. It's like you've got that narrow window and if you fall one way or the other, or, you know, I mean, you may have absolutely no control over it, but you know, you just, there's this very narrow window to success as a woman. And, you know, part of how women, part of how women conform to it is by, and honestly, I mean, by policing each other is one way of putting it, by using it, by using this ideology as weapons against other women. And then, you know, because every, because this kind of ideology produces so much trauma, um, like that's a way of keeping the trauma cycles going. Oh, you know, you have to do this. I had to do it too. You know, you failed at this, you know, this is, this is what you get. Just all of that, all of that preoccupation that, that women and, you know, AFAB people can pick up uh, about how, how other women are dressing, you know, how girls are dressing. Oh, I noticed, you know, I noticed that uh, you were, your neckline was a little bit too, I mean, just this, this happens in evangelical churches all the time that like women will take girls aside and give them a little lecture on how they're dressing and how they need to change the way they're dressing because they're tempting men and boys in church. Like that's a very common practice in lots and lots of church settings. And that's like, that is patriarchy in action. That is women fulfilling like their, their duty of filling, honestly, filling their heads with crap. It's and maintaining crap. <laughs> it's, it's maintaining the patriarchal authority because they are why would men have to go around and police up women's bodies if they have their agents doing it, which is taking away our agency and our autonomy and our ability to exist and thrive and to pursue a life where we obtain like self-actualization and self-realization. Because that could destroy the very system that has been oppressing women yep. in whatever group of people it is. Well, and particularly mother and daughter, is this simultaneously one of the few areas of authority that a mother, a woman is given 
Um, but also it is her success at appropriately training her child is one form of value or actually devalue. I don't know if they get praised for raising girls properly, but they certainly get diminished for not raising them. I mean, properly. you always know that girl that is such and such, you know, daughter, and they're just really like, you should look up to them. You should be like them. You should be more like them. I just don't know why you're like this because, you know, you should be like that girl or Harrison. That one. Yeah. If you, if you can make the women police each other, that's half of the work mm-hmm. to do because you just keep them in their place and then they just monitor each other. Yeah. And it, kind of builds, uh, it builds that hierarchy too, I think, because in my community, there were certain women, especially like the, the deacon's wives, you know, people that had power in the church, mm-hmm. their daughters were always above the rest of us. It wasn't said like implicitly, but we all knew. <laughs> we all Let me knew. just tell you, the deacon's daughter, you could put one finger up here and <laughs> see her hair. And it was just like <laughs> everybody knew. Oh, I just don't know why you're not more like her. We were all expected to be like them. Even dress patterns. Like you were super extra holy if you did exactly what they did. Or, you know, you you pulled your covering really, really far forward. Uh But it built that, that hierarchy in the church where you were literally policing each other and it was just expected. I don't even think it just built it. It builds it, but it also reinforces that hierarchy. It reinforces the social status. It reinforces the ability of, you know, women who may be married to somebody who is in the ministry having more privilege and more power than, say, people who are poor or a widow's kid or, you know, for whatever reason, they maybe have been adopted by a single mother, a single person or, you know, something like that. Like it, it, it reinforces that social status. And because they benefit, they have no motivation, no desire to change it that part well and they they convince you know you convince everybody well if you just work hard enough then you'll have the same status that ain't happening (laughs) (laughs) i mean i mean (laughs) how you support a caste system is by creating a an idealized way of being that is actually unattainable for almost everyone. And then like, like the rules can be broken for the people at the top of the caste system and for everyone else, they can tell themselves that they're not at the top of the system because they're not, they're failing at the rules. Mm -hmm. It's very effective for like keeping systemic inequity in place. Yeah. 
I could start talking about capitalism right now, but I'll I'll. Well, I was gonna say I could talk about racism, but I mean, I mean, we could go in all kinds of directions, but we also are going to have to um, wrap this up in a minute. So one of our guests, our listeners, says it seems like the patriarchal culture, like patriarchal cultures, sexualize everything that has to do with human interaction. The pressure is so heavy and 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 traumatic. It's appalling. I would agree with that. And somebody else says this discussion connects to why women in other cultures force their daughters to get circumcised. We say it is barbaric, but we have our own circumcision. Mm. Yeah, that part. So with that being said, do you all want to go around and give me your parting thoughts on this booklet? And then we can wrap it up. Jess? Um, there's, there's so much here. But I think for a girl in this setting, this is really heavy. And no one should have to carry the weight of everything that happens to them and to the, the other women around them. And I think that's a lot to unlearn, too, as we come out and as we build our lives. Like, unlearning these things, it's not going to happen overnight. It takes time. Stephanie? <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie just ripped the book. Okay. All right. Lori? Um, I have the urge to do the same thing. Um, and, you know, I'm still unlearning the things like we've talked about before. My community wasn't as conservative as some and I don't remember seeing the books but for sure it was it's passed down from generation and you know there's Amish in my background so um it's it, I'm still unlearning things and again the mainstream culture has some of these ideologies just not as um, in your face um so it's a lot to unpack. And if you're someone that is still in these, one of these communities, just know that this is not what it means to be a woman and you you have other options. See a therapist. Thank you. <laughs> sure. Um, I know, and we never really even got into to the biology and what this is teaching young girls who may or may not have started their period about periods. Um, but I think, you know, for me, as I read it as an academic, I just, I think any academic who puts this out there should not be able to continue teaching. Um, that's, that's my, my belief about our responsibility as, as academics in terms of the book itself, I think the biggest thing is 11-year-old girls are not two years shy of being women. You know, and everything about this book praised, like, that 13-year-old girl as being the peak of womanhood and femininity, femininity, there we go, provided that she was a pure version who had, 
virgin who had been obedient and all of these criteria were met. 13 year old girls or children. Absolutely children. And this book does not treat them as such. It treats them as women. And that's the biggest problem. Every problem I had came from kind of that core underlying assumption that played out in the things that the author or author said. Yeah. Thank you for that. I think um, one of the most important parts is understanding how all of these things intersect and affect children in that environment. And we did have a question. Somebody wants to know what to say to Amish women or women if they're in that type of situation. And I think really, truly, I don't know what to tell you to tell people just off the top of your head, you know, try to listen and hear people where they are, uh, hear people and learn about where they are. And then you can better meet them where they are and give them better information. Regardless, my entire takeaway from this book is absolutely that it is worthy of being burned and it should be burned. It should not be circulated. If you have been given this book, or if you have been taught by the principles in this book, I would encourage you to be curious and seek out more information. I'd encourage you to challenge the perceptions that are within these this book specifically, because at the end of the day, children do not ask to be raped. Children cannot consent to being raped. Children do what they must do to survive. And sometimes those situations that children are, children are placed in are literally unimaginable horror for the rest of the world. You don't know what that's like until you've lived it. And once you've seen it, you can never unsee that. That never goes away. It is never going to be as if that didn't happen to you as a child. That may be a very hard truth, but it is a truth. And it is something that I think that the world needs to understand better and have more compassion for people who have experienced trauma in their childhood, especially trauma that is coming from stuff like this and related to that. So if you're in that situation, I would also encourage you to seek out therapy from a licensed therapist that is qualified in like trauma therapy could be very helpful for you. I would encourage you to, you know, find, keep, keep asking for help. And, you know, someday you will find help. There are people who will help you. So with that being said, thanks for listening. Have a good Sunday. See y'all next time. Oh, 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 oh,